Welcome to another episode of Storyteller Studio, where we're gathering our lives through genuine conversations and gladly sharing them with folks around the world. As radio announcers, Liz and Tim believe there's something very special about being behind a microphone and letting their hair down. Sometimes people just need a reason to enjoy each other, either again or for the very first time. And we found plenty of others who feel the same. From artists, sports figures, and manufacturers, to filmmakers, authors, and media types, we all may know bits and pieces about a person, but there's always something more. So while we grab our headphones and turn up the mics, it's your chance to eavesdrop on yet another episode of Storyteller's Studio. Welcome back to Storyteller Studio. We are on the road. We are in Nashville, Tennessee. And just a couple of days ago, I decided, because I saw this gigantic round building in downtown Nashville called the Municipal Auditorium, I decided to sort of pop in and be a little curious as to what's going on down there. And I found a treasure trove of all kinds of stuff in the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum so I asked somebody that looked important, hey, can we sit down and talk? And Lynn was gracious enough to be able to holler upstairs and have Royce uh, Degree, which is the best radio name ever. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, have him come down and find out about us and me find out a little bit about them. And he entered the room on a scooter. Yes. And my first thing to him was, do you enter the room this way every time? Yes. Every, yes, I do. Every time you can. <laughs> now, we've, yeah. got, we've got a bonus this afternoon. The daughter of Joe and Linda Chambers, who founded this museum, Britt, is the um, museum relations person here. And she's sort of in between appointments this afternoon. So she yeah. popped in and she's going to share some stuff with us too. Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, it's really good to have you guys. And I am just honestly really curious about the several layers of this museum. The inductees and the Hall of Fame and all that stuff. So why don't you just start from the beginning? Because there's going to be so many people that don't know that layer or how is this different than any other hall of fame and any other music museum Britt, do you want to start with that and tell a little bit about the history of um joe coming up with the idea it started with he was um a uh first in a band that brought him here um then a songwriter and then had a chain of guitar stores, Chambers Guitars, which is when Royce met. Yep. Um, and then, you know, growing up, that's just what I was around. And I remember in the 2000 area that he started um, envisioning the Musicians Hall of Fame. Did he basically say there's a lot more to this music industry than who's standing behind the front microphone. Is that it? The layers, the different layers of musicians? Yeah. The the time that he was songwriting, he the people that he would use were a lot of the guys here. Mm -hmm. And so he knew them as friends oh. and he just saw the behind the scenes and he wanted uh, other people to know that. So wow. that's like a very quick right. story, right? Um, yeah. And he also saw a documentary once um, about Motown mm -hmm. and some of the guys that were on all those albums. And he learned that 
some of those guys would get paid $35 a day for a session. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, they'd come in and do a session day for 35 bucks, go home, come the next day, do another session, 35 bucks. Think about the albums, the records, yes. the Motown, you know, think about those songs and how many millions of dollars were made and the notoriety of the people at the microphone and the, right. on the front end or on stage. Those are rarely the people who cut the record in the studio. The singer may be there, but the people on the record are musicians who are hired guns to be there. Well, and let's use uh, Motown as a really good example. You may have Diana Ross that comes in for one or two days, and then all of a sudden Smokey Robinson, let's say, comes in. Well, then all of a sudden these background musicians are there every day. Right. They're not just hit and miss. They're the people that are killing it every day, all day. And very often those people are the ones who come up with the hook or the signature lick that defines the song and they do it right there in the studio. Did they actually encourage that kind of participation? Oh, absolutely. Did they? Okay. It, it's, it's complete. And it's still today. We still okay. have um, session musicians who contribute in a very... A significant way to the recording good um, the artist the songwriter the um, engineer may say we need something right here and they they notice something lacking in a particular part they'll say we need something right here and then the musician says oh how about this the bass player may just go <laughs> you know and right there on the spot they've created the most uh, incredible lick or, or signature defining moment in that song. Yeah. Um, uh, for instance, Ed King um, in the studio uh, for Leonard Skinner, Sweet Home Alabama. Mm-hmm. Really? That was an impromptu thing? Yes. That's Ed King in the studio. See, and Whoa. that's the kind of thing. Bob Babbitt, one of our inductees from the Funk Brothers, same thing. Michael Jackson, bad. That was Bob Babbitt in studio. Wow. Where they said, we need something here, and it becomes the hook. It becomes the life of the song that makes it so instantly identifiable. When when the song begins to play and you hear those first, you know, few notes or the the first little riff that comes in there. Right. Or drum solo or whatever that defines the song, very often that's come up with right on the spot in the studio by these guys who are so incredibly good at their craft yeah that they're able to do that and they can just get in a room and create music and, and yet and, and yet if you mention bob babbitt's name to anybody unless they know who the funk brothers are i know nine times out of ten they're gonna go i have no idea right was it your neighbor when you grew up i have no idea you right. know that type of thing right you know the thing that really got me with this museum and i'm sort of coming in a little bit sidewinding i'm not really sure which angle you guys were approaching it from when i walked in the door sure but it didn't take me long you know once i got into the nashville area when i went to go see louise mandrell this was maybe last october i think i had never been to the new location of the grand Ole opry so i bought into the vip thing and you know you take you back stairs and the whole nine yards so they Put us in this dressing room and they say you can leave your stuff here during the show blah 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 says hey by the way these are country people somebody may just sort of pop in on you and we're going really come on really the gatlin brothers are here sawyer brown is here somebody's just gonna pop in says oh, i'm telling you it's happened before all right so he left us alone 
Sure enough, here comes this guy. He's over 70, has a guitar, and he walks in and goes, hey, how is everybody? He says, I'll guarantee you nobody knows who I am, but I'm performing tonight. And it was Don Schlitz. Mm-hmm. And he sits down and he says, well, let me just give you an idea of my past. And he talks about college, didn't work out, moved to Nashville, five years, grueling, grueling, grueling. And here was my first song. And he started playing The Gambler. And of course, we're freaking out. <laughs> and the whole visit was fantastic from there. Then now all of a sudden you go, well, how many other layers to how many other people? And right. you yeah. know, when I started out in radio, yeah, let's, okay, so let's say the Beach Boys for the sake of argument. You know, you know the front people, but you don't know Al Jardine. Right. You just, I, I just didn't, you know, I was happy to know what I knew. And then when you find those layers, it's like, oh, man. Britt, how close or how soon did you have access to those layers of people that your dad then had the passion for to make public to everybody? I know when you were saying that, I was like, my whole life, it was like, do you know who's playing on this song? <laughs> right. And um, the thing that I, um, the dad would bring up a lot because he found it interesting was I was in fourth grade and we were going to a guitar show, I believe. And um, I was like, what is this? And he said, oh, it's Strawberry Fields. And then oh. I became obsessed with the Beatles. I had a Beatles birthday party, fifth grade. Of you course know, you did. Where we watched a documentary. <laughs> From there, it went, you know, Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix or even Ozzy or whatever it was. And so he always felt like my musical memories were the same as his, like the same age. Um, We liked the same music. Yeah. So in that way, it was really cool, too. But yeah, like any any names be around him as well. And so he started doing interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, He originally thought about doing a TV show Mm -hmm. where he'd have a green screen and have as an example, James Burton, but have Elvis behind so people oh. would stop and see that oh, sure. and then learn about James Burton. Yeah. That didn't work out at the time. His first interview was going to be Chet Atkins and Chet was sick and oh, he didn't my. feel like he wanted people to see Chet like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the things. But in town, Jimi Hendrix's girlfriend had a Barber shop or yeah, hair. Was, um, Joyce's house. Joyce's of house of glamour. Yeah. Okay. All it, right. That's talked about in our Hendrix room, and Dad thought that that would have been a cool museum, but it got knocked down. It was on Jefferson Street, and wow. so I'm kind of zooming forward. But that's when he decided that TV show concept would be brick and mortar, which is the oh. museum now. It's like oh you've got to start saving stuff. Like I said, even with interviews, I, I would go with him often and. He started doing those interviews that you saw in the museum. Yes. Um, well, and I've seen him on the uh, YouTube channel, too. Yeah. I don't know how many there are. I think I saw a maybe lot. eight of them. Are, <laughs> are there a lot of them? Many. Really? Oh, yeah. yes. Wow, good for Tremendous him. following on YouTube. If they search for Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum, okay. mm-hmm. you'll see the huge catalog, the vault, we call yes. it, of videos that Joe oh, had the foresight him. to think, you know, we're losing a lot of these people. And he wanted to capture their stories before many of them died. He knew a lot of people who were sick. Yeah. And, um, and he did manage to do this. And, and I'll say also that he did it on his own dime. He funded, he bought the equipment, he did the trips and did whatever he had to do to get these stories. And as he began to develop this catalog, then he realized, wait a minute, we could do a museum. 
and he began collecting artifacts, instruments, drum sets, um, you know, guitars. He approached me in 2004, I believe, when he had been a client of mine since the mid-90s, I think, and he wanted to have lunch with me because he had this idea. <laughs> he was a visionary as much as he was a songwriter, a musician. He just had this thing in his head where he could see it. He may not necessarily be able to do it himself, but he surrounded himself by the people who could. Then he made things happen that he envisioned. Well, and you know, I'll tell you, God love them. When, when you get those people that have that vision or that passion, you could have all that excitement and the idea is fantastic. But if you don't have the network of friends, right. if you don't have the finances, if you don't have the brick and mortar you were talking about, there's something, and there's about a hundred different ways it could be brick walled, that it doesn't happen. Sure. But if you've got connections and you have the, let's call it salesmanship to go, come on, let's be a part of this. Come on. And they do. Holy cow. Well, and this shows it. Yes. And other than the ambition to get it done, mm-hmm. the visionary aspect, Joe Chambers had this unique quality, and Britt can speak to this too. Everybody who knew the guy wanted to be his best friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. I, it, it is the funniest thing how many people, um, after Joe passed, uh, would would say, oh, he was my best friend. And I'm like, no, he was my best friend. (laughs) (laughs) We had a guy like that that worked for the uh, Rockford Park District. And you know how deep the park district can go with all the different things. And his name is Webbs Norman. And as part of their eulogy, they were saying, everybody here was Webbs' best friend. And you see all these nodding heads. Mm -hmm. And they're going, yeah. Not so much. Not so yeah, much. not yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah, so... But you think that. Yes. Yeah. And I will say, it was genuine. Yes, like, absolutely. Mm. And I would even hesitate, you know, because I felt like you were saying that something to that effect at the celebration of life, but I was like, I don't want anyone to feel like he wasn't because he really yeah. somehow had, even with us, yes. his kids, his family, mm-hmm. was so connected with YouTube. I've continued to answer to people, but he would answer to every single person. And so it... I don't know. I was saying like his tentacles just went like yeah. further than I even But um, it, but isn't that realized. part of him being part of the country music culture because I I mean I know the man draws I've known him for 42 years and I have met so many other country artists and they're all of the same block of wood and you can't say that when you jump over maybe to rock or jazz or something else. There's just something about that and if your dad's hanging around Tammy Wynette and Conway Twitty and those kind of people. Mm -hmm. Something's got to rub off. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think he rubbed off on people actually. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know how I found out about this place is the Segway tour. Do you see the Segways go by here every so often? Yeah. 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 I did this last October and you know, they took us down Centennial Park and the whole nine yards and they're talking about this musicians museum. And I'm going, well, you mean the, country music hall of no no it's different i go well you mean no no it's different so i put it on my radar and here we are six months later and that's how i found out about you so advertise on the segways is i guess my (laughs) that's great and the the the, the trolley um they also are a great partner of ours uh they 
we're one of the stops on the trip and Excellent. they tell everyone about the museum so they're a great partner so back in 2004 when okay. joe started pitching this to me we had lunch and he said hey i need your help i've got this idea i want to make a museum for musicians what do you think <laughs> and i'm like okay uh, that's it tell oh, me more yeah i do need <laughs> and, more and um just Fundamentally, from the very beginning, Joe and Linda Chambers, their vision has been and continues to be honoring the musicians who make it happen. Not just the musicians, the engineers, the guys running sound, mm -hmm. the producers, the songwriters. But specifically, this is the only museum in the world that we're aware of. Its specific intent is to honor the musician, period. And all genres of music, not just country mm -hmm. music, not just the rock and roll or soul or blues or African-American. It's everybody. Yeah, I noticed So I'm that. sure you noticed when you went through the breadth of coverage of yes. what is music as we know it today. So here's the geek in me, being a radio guy. <laughs> yes, I've been to museums where they show costumes or drumsticks of certain people. You know, we've all seen that. And here I am spending most of the time at the recording equipment. <laughs> right. You know, the multi-tracks and the sure. big audio boards. And my son runs audio for KDVR-TV in Denver. And the one that you have there that I, I think the placard said that it was used to record all seven of Garth Brooks' albums. Right. Is that the gigantic yeah, one there? It's like it's like 12 feet wide. It's, it's unbelievable. Gigantic. So I, yeah. I took a picture of this thing, and I had to make my you know uh, camera ratio for my pictures wider in order to be able to get it in. And I sent this to him, and I says, can you believe this thing? And he goes, oh, I want to touch it. And I go, oh. yeah, you can't touch anything in a museum. When you want to play with that stuff because you've done it a little bit. Right. Oh, and to see it so old and so well-preserved. Good for you guys, I'm telling you. The other part that I really, really enjoy, and I have to hand it to you on how you collected this kind of stuff, because it's not necessarily the community of the musicians, is the Edison to iPod area. And that's was another that, Joe. That's was a it Joe really? Idea. Yes, yes. That wow. This entire museum, I, I just can't even speak to the the amount of respect I have for Joe as a visionary because I'm a creative guy. Mm -hmm. I can do anything in the creative industry all day long. It's, it just comes natural. But a visionary is someone who thinks up ideas that you never thought possible and they collect people, like I said, around them who they use to make their vision happen. They're yeah. sort of like a, a creative director, if you will. You have that, to herd the cats. And that's exactly, Joe was able to um, take what it was that he had as an idea. He could envision it, and he knew it when he saw it. So it came across as him maybe being a little picky <laughs> when, uh, when better, he was working on it. Better but, to be that way than the other. But he would sit over your shoulder and literally tell you, no, 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 I, I just want this. I want that. <laughs> and he knew it when he saw it, and yeah. it was magic when it happened. So... That's this place mm -hmm. in wow. a nutshell. It's his vision and Joe and Linda's commitment to honoring musicians. All the effort, the years of collecting um, stories of mm -hmm. musicians yep. Um, yep. and 
the artifacts and going to auctions and buying all the parts and pieces and uh, so much of that was just Joe and Linda. Wow, good for um, them. And and carrying the torch for people who don't necessarily get the, we the get the attaboys and yeah. the accolades. Yeah. Britt, Brit, I got to ask you: Did you ever consider your dad a collector or a hoarder or whatever you like? Mm. Did he had a bunch of stuff around to begin with, or when he got the vision? He got the stuff from all the other people. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say he's a hoarder at all. Not he at all. was a very specific and everything curated um, had a, it was in his head. I remember even just saying, like, because this building, we could go into a lot of different things. I feel like I should right. direct you also to, um, there's a really good NAM interview with him and uh, the sessions panel is another good interview visionary is it because it, it was all in his head and even since he's passed I've, we've talked about this in the last year there's been a lot of things happen and it's he didn't straight up say hey da 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 but it's like he planned every single thing that and he's wow. been involved it's so it's really interesting and I feel like I know him on a different level now you you know you know I thought he was my best friend too but um and I feel sadly mistaken (laughs) thanks Royce no I just know him I know him we he he was great um at spending a lot of time with us and making us feel involved make I feel like I'm friends with the musicians here and can continue those relationships that's just how it was yeah as far as collecting things everything in the museum it had to be on the recorded session uh, oh, sessions, yeah. or it has. To, it's not just like a replica. Okay, good. So oh, no. they're one hundred percent authentic, original. They were artifacts. in. They were in the room when it happened. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know what? This sounds a little parallel, like, and I've got a long, long history uh, with the Walt Disney Company, and it feels like that same thing mm-hmm. because Walt was so visionary, and then if you lay it out right. When they leave us, which he left pretty early when you really think about it in the whole big mm. spectrum, then these other creative types, which Royce, you're sort of in that category, mm-hmm. you can pick up what he laid down and continue with it. And you know, the other thing I have to hand it to you guys too, you didn't just do a museum and you put stuff in there and then it's done and then you may swap out things every so often you do the hall of fame and the inductee thing just keeps going so it builds on itself Mm -hmm. right and i'm sure that was very much on purpose too yes yeah yeah to continue honoring the legacy of the musician the induction ceremonies help me out here Britt. what's Mm -hmm. the name of the organization that did all the voting the musicians uh, union yes Mm -hmm. they have tens of thousands of Mm -hmm. members And each one um, was allowed to make suggestions of who they thought should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we have volumes and volumes of their input, people who they thought should be in the museum. And that's where you get the Nashville 18, the the (laughs) Funk Brothers. Wrecking uh, Crew. Wrecking Crew in L.A., yeah. yeah. And and, um, in Philadelphia, you've got Philly Sound and... and, um, and the Memphis Boys and the Tennessee Two and mm-hmm. all these people that are actually inducted into the museum are people who had influence on all the other people who are, you know, these guys are like living legends. You hear the term musician's musician, 
you don't know what that means until you come to this museum. Th that is very true. That and, should be your tagline. <laughs> our, our tagline is come see what you've heard. I yeah. love that tagline. That's line. a Joe Chambers. <laughs> is it really? Yes. Wow. That was Joe. Good for him. And um, But that's the whole thing. See, it's, it's um, honoring those people who make the magic happen. Um, Garth Brooks said it best, you know, there's a, I think he used some colorful language in there, but he, he said there's a whole lot of people who are in front of the rest of the guys. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. There's a lot of records that are made that aren't made necessarily by the artists themselves, but there's a hell of a lot of records that are cut by musicians. Right. And you may not necessarily have just one artist. I mean, look at Gladys Knight and the Pips. Yeah. Look at Diane Ross and the Supremes. You know, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Yeah. You know, you do have other quote unquote front people. Sure. But we're talking layers and layers. You know, the other thing that I, I am really happy about, and I would like to see you guys' um, twist on this, you know, you have so many more cable channels, so many more media outlets, whether it be um, a podcast or iHeartRadio or whatever the case may be. And now you're starting to do a lot of original work. I am thrilled that they are doing documentaries on people like David Foster mm -hmm. and Quincy Jones and Clive Davis. Right. Because, again, that's the executive level of producing the non-musician part, but yet it's still behind all these people. And look how many people they touched. You want right. to talk about tentacles. Yeah. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. And Echo in the Canyon is another good example. The one that I saw recently was on the cow sills. I had no clue that they prompted the Partridge family for crying out loud. I'm glad they're doing that because that is the TV version of what you guys are doing here to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. When you were uh, mentioning the award shows, the best example I always like to give for a couple of reasons the crickets when they were inducted. Oh, okay. So J.I. Allison, uh, their drummer, was one of my dad's dearest friends and who he would say, as Royce mentioned, he was kind of going to people. So Billy Sherrill was um, who my dad um, was mentored by okay. and kind of felt like he was a second dad. And he went to him, he went to different people, like, what do you think about honoring musicians? And they would all tell you, like, he was like I don't know, Joe. Like, we're we're interested we know them but i don't know about the public but j.i was all about it and he was the first one to give his drums and just be Aww. he passed away about a month before my dad my dad just cried every day they were just so close um but when the crickets were inducted the rolling stones the beatles looked up to the crickets so it's like who's going to induct them and j.i wanted keith Richard. So Keith came in to induct them and play with them. Whoa. And it was like he was so nervous. Because Keith I, Richards was nervous? Yes. yes. Was he really? Because he was starstruck. Yeah. Oh, by yeah. being by being yeah. with the crickets and yeah. and you know being able to have the it was an honor mm -hmm. for yeah. him to come and induct these guys. That's hilarious, though, when the tables are turned on somebody like that. And that's sure. the whole museum, though. And that's like the, so it's like the people that the public look up to. These are their people. Yeah. And so that means the most to them to be inducted or to be a part of the museum because it's the musicians um, giving that honor to other musicians, you know, and, exactly. and tr the people that. Like Keith wants to do that, so it brings light to these guys that may maybe everyone doesn't know influenced him. Or that is so exactly. Good. Keith Richards made the statement 
that Rolling Stones wouldn't exist without the crickets. Mm-hmm. Come on. Because of the influence, he said, you have no idea the impact that their music had on these kids in this dark, you know, in, mm-hmm. in England at the time, it was yeah. so depressing and everything was kind of not great. Yeah. And here comes Buddy Holly and the Crickets and their music. And they're like, what is this? <laughs> and, you know, it just was so inspiring to the guys um, in, in the band. And they really looked up to the Crickets. You know, when you're talking about the Beatles and your fifth grade birthday party and stuff <laughs> like that, or five-year-old birthday party. Fifth grade, you're right. Um, it's like multi-generational, mm-hmm. right? It's, oh, we got good, brand new music. No, it was recorded in 1963. It's mm-hmm. not brand new. So this takes me back to when my son was a sophomore in high school. And I'm sitting in the living room watching TV, and all of a sudden, he came walking down the hall with intention. And he goes, Dad, I just got to tell you. I'm going, well, say it. He goes, I just don't like your music. <laughs> Because, you know, that's what he hears in the car and the radio when we're taking play and it's, it's in the garage and, you know, I'm a 70s guy. That's okay. You don't have to like my music. That's okay. He says, I just had to tell you. And then he turns down the hall and goes back to his room singing Penny Lane. How oh, funny. yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I didn't have the heart to tell him. I go, that's not new music. I'm right. just telling you. <laughs> what? part does your mother play in the museum now that your dad is gone? And my mom's actually very creative too. Um, yes. But they're different types of creative, I guess. He would say that she was the business side and then he oh. was the, it allowed him to be as creative as he wanted to be. So she's doing it all now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all feel like we had, Joe just kind of rubbed off on you. You just kind of, me and my brothers, my husband, it's like, oh, I know exactly what dad, what Joe would say. It's so, it's very consistent and a lot, like we have everything we need. Wow. So, in fact, we just inducted Ringo. He got the Joe Chambers Musician's Legacy Award. Oh, hell The, the first. The first, yeah. Joe wow. Chambers Legacy Award. So, yeah. it was full, very full circle in a lot of ways for me, but, um, and I was even aware of that, uh, that that could be a possibility, but that was really neat. But I don't know why I went into that, except that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, this is making more sense to me now with the stories that you're telling me now. But you've got an area in the museum that if you want to sit down and take drum lessons mm-hmm. by Ringo Starr, there is a virtual way of being able to do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the guts to do it because yeah. I know Ringo Starr <laughs> was a left-handed player on a right-handed set. So, yeah. you know, I can't compare to that. And I stink as a musician. I play the records. I can't, sure. I can't play music. Yeah, it takes um, all of us. It, do, it does, and that's <laughs> the whole point. But what do people do with this interactive studio that you have in the back? Uh, uh, many years in the making. For, uh, for a long time, Nashville desired a presence uh, by the Grammys in Nashville. In many ways, solicit the Grammys to be heavily involved in Nashville. Okay. And it could just, it just never came about. And the museum became a vehicle through which they could get the Grammy gallery here. And Joe was very instrumental helping to make that happen. Last year, um, you asked what Linda does. She is the acting CEO of the museum. Mm -hmm. Um, And last year, Joe and Linda got their own star on the Walk of Fame in Nashville. Whoa. So um, that's what 
kind of impact the two of them have made on the city of Nashville. Oh. It's, um, you know, they're right up there with everybody else who has a star on the Walk of Fame in Nashville. They just have a different um, reason. And their contribution is significant. The musicians who are honored through this place very often are um, unbelievably humbled that they're seen as a major contributor because they've always been behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. You know, some, well, I say always, <laughs> some, some cut their, their teeth behind the scenes and then became megastars, Toto. Every one of the guys in Toto, they were inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame. When I turned the corner and saw Toto, I was sort of shocked. I'm going, what don't I know about these guys? And you They just, were session musicians. You just said it. Yes. Every one of them. They were yeah. session musicians. Many of them, their fathers were session musicians, and oh, that's how they got into it. My. And Steve Lukather plays with Ringo. Yes. Oh, so, so he played on. with Ringo when they were here. He was, They're in the yeah. All-Star Band, yeah. Wow. So, so um, um, Neil Young also said this. He said, if you want to see the vehicle go um, it, you can see rock that yeah to the rock and roll hall of fame or ides of or, march or <laughs> you know, right but if you want to see what's under the hood you oh. want to see the engine come to the musicians hall of fame and museum yeah. because yeah. it is what makes the machine work right yeah all and the he, musicians he came to induct ben keith at our right. show i did not spend enough time or maybe i was not looking at the right placard or something <laughs> but there is a remote studio back there looks oh, like a trailer Inactron. yeah yes what is that about help me out with that because it's it's tiny but yet it's okay it's sort of portable that is called the anactron it was created by um, engineering Ahern. genius brian ahern and it was one of the first uh, mobile recording studios uh, specifically in America but I think it's one of the first that was a completely mobile recording studio so why would so, they need it what would be the why would somebody go uh, oh this is fantastic because I don't want to leave my backyard sometimes oh my okay so okay. so Brian's vision was um, he wanted to create this mobile studio that could be taken anywhere and record. And we're talking literally anywhere. If he wanted to go out in the middle of a field, oh. it was self-sustaining. He had the designed the trailer to be self-sufficient and lined it with lead to cut out any interference and sound and to deaden the sound in there and create oh my. and to create a studio like atmosphere in there. And, Equipped it with state-of-the-art equipment I can tell. at the time. Yeah, He recorded, um, I think, uh, Willie Nelson in there, Johnny Cash, Roseanne Cash, uh, Emmy Lou Harris. Who he was married uh, to. Yeah, he was married to Emmy Lou for a while. You're the connector, aren't uh, you? You're yes. the dot connector. You that's, know. That's why she's the director of <laughs> musician, uh, museum <laughs> relations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so when Dolly and Linda Ronstadt and Emmy Lou cut that trio album, mm -hmm. it was all recorded in that, no. that trailer. For instance, he came to Nashville and recorded the, there was a barn session um, that they could literally pull the tractor trailer outside and record inside this barn. And here's Keith Richards sitting there with Brian Ahern recording, oh. you know, on George Jones' song that, that was on this album. And it was all done through that oh, mobile recording studio. God. And again, let me back up here. Here's the beauty of Joe's vision. 
Joe heard about this Enactron truck sitting, rotting somewhere in a field. Okay. <laughs> and Joe says, I'm going to get that thing. How can I get this thing? N- not knowing what he was going to use it for? No, he had the vision oh, for he it. Did. That okay. should be in the museum. Another thing, the Jolly Roger. Jimi Hendrix said Nashville is where he really learned to play guitar. He went into the Army, his friend Billy Cox, and he were in the Army together in Clarksville. And they would come down and play clubs in Nashville. And one (laughs) of the clubs that they played was the Jolly Roger. Oh, my. Joe Chambers found out about the stage from the Jolly Roger that it still existed and that he could get it. So in our museum is the interior of the Jolly Rogers Club. The stage, interestingly, beside the stage are the restroom doors. So if anyone went to the restroom, they had to walk right past the band and go in the restroom. And when they came out, they'd say, hey, we could all hear you in there. And, you know, everybody's, oh, oh. oh yeah, ha, ha, ha. Um, so he saw things like the Enactron truck, the Jolly Roger, and we have a recreated version of it in our Jimi Hendrix exhibit. So he cool. saw. Um, he saw American Sound Studio where Elvis Presley recorded and here's James Burton and Reggie Young and all these guys who played with Elvis recorded in this American Sound Studio. Joe learned, again, that this was sitting in a semi-tractor trailer somewhere. Tornado Alley. Yeah, in Tornado (laughs) Alley of all places. Yeah, just waiting to get eaten up. So what did Joe do? He goes and buys it, brings it here, puts it together inside the museum and we have the vocal booth that Elvis Presley well Elvis actually didn't like to record inside of the vocal booth he stood outside with the band so you can stand there and see this place that became a mecca of Elvis fans after he died they would come and sign all of the baffles so if you go back through the museum you'll see those orange baffles there are thousands of signatures all over that American Sound Studio. Wow. Many people thought that place had been torn down and it never existed uh, after that time. And we have it here in the museum. Unbelievable. And if Joe would have just gone, eh, you know, eh. He couldn't let it go. The, the Jolly Roger, he recognized it from a picture. He's like, I think I know where that is. Because the bathroom doors were like so weird. And yeah. then because they would get heckled and things. So he kept calling and calling. He's like, can I just go down there and look? And that went on for months and months. And he'd call like all the time. And the guy was like, the final day he called, he said, oh my gosh, we're actually knocking it down. But if you want to go right now and look. Wow. And that's it. And then he said, we have a crew there if you find what you're wanting. And so that's why he got the whole stage and everything. And That's crazy. Yeah. Good for him. We're going to take a short break. I'm going to run down a list of some of the inductees that are in this museum that you may or may not know, and then we'll springboard off of them. We'll be right back on the Storyteller Studio in just a minute. Hi to everyone listening to Storyteller Studio podcast all over the world. I'm Isba Snabash, and I'm here to tell you that Tim really appreciates your dedication to the show. But I'm also here to let you in on a huge secret. Tim Larson leads a second life as an author. As a writer, he's known as Tim Dingus, D-I-N-G-U-S. His three drastically different books can be easily found on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You'll find things to think about for at least one minute, the comings and goings of t-shirts and the power of props. 
As we all know, Tim's mind runs non-stop, and these are just the book versions. Again, just search Tim Dingus on Amazon and discover the author side of your podcast host. Now back to more of Tim's impromptu conversation on the Storyteller Studio podcast. All right, welcome back to Storyteller Studio. I am here with Royce Degree and also Britt Chambers from the Musicians Museum and Hall of Fame in downtown Nashville. Now, let me just run down some of these lists. And I sort of made a list on one side. I have no clue who these people are, but of course I've learned about them, you know, either right now or when I went through the museum, or people that have been that front line and you're going to recognize them. You go, oh yeah, but I didn't know all the behind the scenes on these people. Steve Warner, Don Everly, one of the Everly brothers. Uh, Dwayne Eddy, very, very instrumental right. guitarist. Yeah, mm -hmm. crazy. Jerry Reed. I mean, some people may only know Jerry Reed because of the movies. Listen, <laughs> Jerry Reed is one of those musicians, musicians we were talking about. When yeah. he was inducted, there were shouts from the, the attendees at that. Aww. It's about time. <laughs> you know, so... Is the uh, statue that is outside uh, before you enter the museum, is that Chet Atkins? That's Chet Atkins. Mm -hmm. I am going to save one of the microphones that we have here and the cord, and I'm going to go out with the tripod and the camera and sit on that stool. Yes. And mm -hmm. pretend By I'm interviewing means. Chet Atkins. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Don Felder from um, the yeah. Eagles. Uh, Charlie Daniels. No big surprise there with the... Right musician background he has. Toto we talked about. Randy Bachman from BTO. Yes. Uh, Vince Gill, holy cow. When you've got <laughs> somebody that's got that much range and then is asked to sit in for the Eagles when right somebody on. is out yeah. or has died, uh, Vince Gill is that guy. Uh, Ray Stevens, Peter Frampton, Buddy Guy. Right. One of my best buddies from radio has been a concert promoter um, for 33 years. And one of his most repetitive clients has been Buddy Guy. Hmm. And the other is Tony Bennett. Yeah. So oh. he's promoted yeah. anybody from Jerry Seinfeld to um, Weird Al Yankovic. I mean, yeah. in, anywhere yeah. in between. Close to my heart is your first female inductee, and that's Barbara Mandrell. And if I'm not mistaken, that came like in 2014, like your fourth year, something like that. And her range of um, instruments, including the steel guitar, is just insane what that woman can play. It is incredible. It yeah. is. I don't remember the year that she was inducted, but it was pretty early on. Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was a fourth year. Well, not on that I'm questioning. When was Velma and Corky? Um, it was a, they were after Barbara. Okay. okay. But, uh, so so yeah. we have homework. Corky Casey O'Dell oh. um, and Velma Smith. Uh, Smith were session guitar players when women weren't even, you know, oh, considered yeah. able to play yeah. on those albums. Yeah. I mean, they weren't seen as um, professional musicians necessarily. Yeah. And these ladies cut. They were on tons of records. Man. And when you hang out with the guys for long, long hours, and you can be part of that atmosphere, which can get a little rough, I'm sure. Sure. Uh, they have some thicker skin than your average person, I'm, I'm sure. sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then you've got Garth Brooks and the G-Men. You've got Don McLean and also Billy Gibbons. Right. All right. So here's going to be the list of who are these guys. And for our listeners, I'm going to give you a lot of homework. The Blue Moon Boys. The Funk Brothers, the Wrecking Crew from Los Angeles that we talked about, 
uh, Billy Sherrill, who was your dad's mentor, who we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, Dick Dale, uh, Corky Casey, you just talked about, Mike Curb, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> man, oh man, Curb Records. I know Curb Records. I played Curb Records, but I did right. not know the behind the scenes until I saw your exhibit here. Yeah. Yeah. Mike um, is a good friend of the museum. Yeah. He's been amazing. It seems like you guys get a lot of participation from your inductees. They will come back and yes. help you any way they can. Is that Absolutely. true? That's what it seems like. Yeah. They become part of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. and um, are some of our strongest supporters mm-hmm. and have been since before the museum was here. Some of mm-hmm. those people, oh. you know, helped make it happen through their connection with Joe, you know, um, the guitar stores and songwriting and producing. So they've got, they've got skin in the game. Yeah. Big time. Two that are last on my list of people that may not know would be Alan Reynolds Mm -hmm. and Felix Cavalieri. So this tells you a little bit about me. When I set up the storyteller studio in the Edgebrook shopping center, they gave us an old state farm, office to be able to bring our memorabilia in so I had sort of my little mini museum you know for our radio geek people and I lined the baseboards of every room with albums and every time we would come in we would swap it out and we play an album while people would just sort of walk around and look Mm. at whatever they were looking at Uh, in box number five is a Felix Cavalieri album (laughs) yeah good stuff and it was a promo album you know because they shower us with hey play our record play our record that type of thing but it's in pristine shape I mean I'm just thrilled that you know it wasn't roughed up or in a flood or you know how those things go wow that's the list I came up with and that's the one that I'm uh, happy that uh, it's, it's a really good balance uh, tell me about the new studio. What are you guys going to do with the new studio? Oh, well, I was just going to connect again. Um, Felix came and sang for Ringo as well. So that's another, mm. a lot of times uh, past inductees will come back and nice. again want to be right. involved. And nice. it's just kind of continuous. Wow. But yeah, so the studio, another story. Uh, we Jim Gilmore brought the... Um, the audio board? Sound thank board. you, soundboard. Yeah. Um, and said to, to dad, like, oh, I think you might be interested in this. It was on WSM radio, the rhyme and the Opry, blah, blah, blah. And he oh. was like, okay, well, yeah, I think that's really cool. Does it work? And he said, well, no. And he's like, well, if it works, we'll take it. And it, it had been gutted. So he's like, I don't know if you know what you're asking me, because this is like a big deal. It is. He knew what he was asking, but it took um, two years at least. Yeah, and Jim... Uh, took that gutted piece of equipment that had historical significance joe had him retrofit with state-of-the-art equipment so it now is a functioning piece of equipment that has the look of the original piece very much so yeah but it is state-of-the-art in the guts and jim did all that if i'm not mistaken he volunteered and did did that on his see uh, it all gets back to passion right Mm -hmm. if you There are people that will not give you a dime for X amount of reasons. But boy, reason number 10, all of a sudden you hit them and they open up their checkbook and they will spend the hours. There was an airport close to us that we did one of our life's 3x5s podcast from that airport. And this is a community airport where people live at the airport. You know, they have houses along the runways. The owner 
after he got us all set up in the hangar and everything, came running back in there and says, I hate to interrupt, but you guys got to come out here. And he throws us in the golf cart and we head out across the runway and they were going to fly the Jenny for only the second time. And this is such a non-musical story, (laughs) but there were this group of 12 people that one of the guy's fathers used to deliver mail in a Jenny airplane. He found his blueprint of the plane and all the fancy stuff that his grandfather had. He got these 12 guys together and they made parts that didn't exist and they built an airplane. Cool. Sure. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That, mm-hmm. It's non-musical, it's, but it's about the passion. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's parallel. And yeah. it took them three and a half years, and they took it up to Oshkosh, and we were lucky enough to be there for the first and the second time that they flew that thing. That's so cool. And it just makes the, you know, the hair stand up on your back. You know. So now that you've got this studio, who's going to be in it? Britt, you've got that look on your face that you need to leave. (laughs) I'm always pressing it till the last minute. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for having me. And thank you for uh, wanting to talk about the museum and for visiting. And I do want to plug our YouTube again. There is, we have the vault, which is all the interviews and more that you will find in the museum. And then it was kind of a full circle situation that um, my dad would always say to my husband, "You, you helped me do this, but... He was like, no, you had all the content there. It was just getting it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, as I talked about in the beginning, he wanted to do a show to um, yes. talk yes. about. So the, the YouTube, he started doing interviews on the stage that's out front there. So those are also on the YouTube. And then I do want Royce to talk about the book. Um, yes. That's got every story about every artifact. And Royce took every photo of every artifact in the museum um, before the flood that uh, happened. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, after too so yeah, anyway we'll i do want you to talk about that yeah. but thank you so much so yeah nice to meet thank you. you i am really glad you took your mom's place well we thought linda was going to be here and i tried to rope her in but she's yes. got so much going on right now yeah she she couldn't make it to this time but um i saw Britt come into the lobby and i said ah Britt, please come help me. This was fun. I got a feeling we'll see each other down the road because I'm going to bring my other posse oh, here. wonderful. Yeah, down yes. the line. Please, yeah, please. Definitely. Yeah, good to see you again. Let's back up to that uh, topic of the new studio. Yes. How are you going to fill that studio and what capabilities does it have? Because it's state-of-the-art, uh, we can record and broadcast from there. We also use it to record uh, things that happen on the guitar stage that you oh. see when you walk in. Yeah, good. Um, all of the events when we had Ringo's induction here mm-hmm. and filmed it all um, studio. I mean, it was, you know, major television quality production. And we recorded the sound from that stage and the induction ceremony in that room. Excellent. So the vision for that room now, we'd like to have some guests podcasters come in sometimes and give a little plug for the museum and say mm-hmm. they're here in Nashville and and that they're recording live at the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd like to do that, but we also have an idea for a show. And several of our inductees and major players that have helped us bring this place to fruition. Are you uh, talking about sitting down and having a chat with Peter Frampton? Yes. That type of, well, only, only we're talking... Um, our inductees sitting down and having a conversation with their peers. 
Oh, because so, they speak the same language. So, so imagine the conversation between Steve Warner and um, Billy Gibbons. Oh, yeah. When they sit down and just have a conversation. There's no agenda. There's no script. Mm-hmm. There's no, it's just musical history. And it could all start out with, remember when? Right. And they go from there. And they could go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but but the, the, the thing is there is the same thing that Joe had the vision of collecting the stories mm-hmm. is getting that history recorded and hearing the stories that you don't necessarily hear in the public or that you don't know clearing up misconceptions and that kind of thing, of oh, course. But, yeah, yeah. but I think the nuts and the bolts of that idea is really just capturing the interaction between two major players. And like we mentioned earlier, you know, you don't think about Keith Richards getting starstruck. No. <laughs> but here he is, and, and here's uh, J.I. Allison and Joby Malden and Sonny Curtis from the Crickets. And he's like, wow, yeah. wow. I think there's a way to be able to establish what you're talking about. Right. They are so used to being under the lights, behind the microphone, 12 people in the room, being drilled. Uh, These people are not getting any younger. And if they can't remember all the facts, they're going to get nervous. Sure. Where if it's just sort of, hey, back and forth, and hey, do you remember this? And and if you don't remember this, that's okay. We'll just talk about something else. I think if you set it up like that, and it's not, all right, here's our 12 questions, boom, right. boom, 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 right. it's going to be a better quality program. Conversational. It, that's it. And, and it could be as simple as it's driven by a similar interest that each might have in, hey, I always wondered, <laughs> you know that story uh, about you writing this song? And, you know, the conversations that can come out of that kind of thing. Right. Did it really happen that way? And is it true? And and these are the things that we hear (laughs) backstage at our award ceremonies when these guys get together and they're like, holy cow, you know, here's um, here's Steve Lukather and Steve Warner and all the guys from Toto. You got David Pace and uh, they're all standing backstage and you snag a picture and along comes somebody else and goes, Hey, wait a minute. And they jump in the photo and you've suddenly got this mishmash of people that you would have never put together. That's right. And out of that is where you hear these fascinating stories Mm -hmm. and you, you learn things that you go, wow, I didn't know that. That's what we hope to capture in that. That would be cool. That's the gist of that one. A very good friend of mine, his name is Art Volo. He started out doing a video for the uh, Michigan football games. He ended up knowing Bob and Tom down in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he went down and started doing video in the studio. Well, back then, there was no social media. There was no... You never knew what the announcers looked like. And frankly, I think they wanted to sort of keep it that way. Yeah. Maybe you'd see a little handbill that they'd pass out at a remote or something. Well, now he spent 40 years recording radio announcers all over the country. Oh, wow. So the point of my story is to bringing this up. He was recording, I want to say it was Paul Harvey doing a keynote address at a NAB conference, National Association of Broadcasters. 
And of course, you know, blah, 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 they're doing the thing, you know, and of course, Paul is hitting all the points. And I mean, he's just unbelievably fantastic. So here's the applause and it dies down and Art starts to shut down his equipment and somebody walks over to him and he says, so how does it feel to having just recorded Paul Harvey's last keynote speech? And he goes, no, no. He goes, well, it could be. And sure enough, it was. Wow. And if it wasn't for Art either wanting to do it, it is a passion, or him being paid to do it, or whatever the case may be. I mean, 99% of it is passion. And he's 78 years old now, so he's been doing it for a long time, and he knows everybody. If you didn't have that, nobody else would be recording it in the room. Right. Or, nowadays, you'd have it really poorly done on a cell phone. (laughs) Absolutely. And sometimes that just doesn't count. Yeah. (laughs) So wow, good the, for you guys. The common thread of this, um, of this, our discussion here today has been um, what you just said reminded me. In t- 2010, um, the Musicians Hall of Fame existed in a different building here in Nashville. It was off of Sixth Avenue. Okay. And Joe and Linda had purchased that building and renovated the entire thing. It was an old um, engine parts and uh, like electric motor. Oh, uh, this is separate from the guitar store. Yes. Oh, this was okay. after, this was the first iteration of the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum. Okay. So they bought that building, spent tons of money renovating it, and then the city of Nashville comes along and says, um, we need this property for our new civic oh, center. No. Oh. So through eminent domain, oh. that property was acquired. Fast forward, that's how we wound up at the municipal auditorium because this whole space that we exist in here was just a great big open space, the bottom floor of the municipal. It's for people to bring equipment in and get yes. the axe in here. That was it. That was it. Wow. Uh, okay. Storing storing elephants for the circus and uh, <laughs> circus animals and uh, uh, that kind of thing. So it, it really was uh, an unused space. And this museum has breathed life into this part of the city. I mean, it's there are hotels that are around here that weren't before the museum came here. Um, there's an, a renewed interest in this historic building Mm -hmm. everybody has played in the municipal auditorium from elvis to uh, the beach boys charlie daniels carrie uh, underwood you name it it is a historic musical venue it's only appropriate that the hall of fame exists here now so back to joe's visionary Mm -hmm. in between when they were asked to relocate and the time that we reopened here came the flood of 2010 where was all the stuff? Every artifact from the museum was stored at Soundcheck down on 2nd Avenue right next to the river. D- was so it affected by the flood? Destroyed. Oh, my. So many uh, artifacts oh. were completely uh, destroyed and had back up a little bit. They were given two weeks to get out of the old location. Okay. And Joe's visionary, again, <laughs> says, wait a minute. We need to photograph every instrument in here because some of these are on loan and when they're taken, they'll never come back. So we began a process of photographing every instrument in the museum as they were packed up to go into storage. And then short while later, the flood, it's a hundred year flood, comes and destroys 
many of these instruments that were um, in the museum before that yeah, and, and had it, been stored down at Second Avenue. And there was three feet of water pretty much everywhere, including the Grand, oh. Grand Ole Opry House. You're talking all guitars floating in oh. the water, guitar cases, and they couldn't get in there for days after the flood water receded. Um, wow. There was a, a period of time that they couldn't even get in there to get what was in there. So are these photos, are these the ones that you took? Yes. That are now in the book? Yes. Hello. So. Wow. Some of the photos are the photos pre-flood. And you can see the instrument in the museum now with part of its history being the flood. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, for example, Pete Townsend's Les Paul that's in the museum. It looks like it's been through it and back, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it was. It was in the flood. It would have been destroyed had it been an instrument that someone used, right? But okay. the fact that it's an artifact, Joe just said, well... I mean, that's now part of its story. Right. We had the photos before. Luther Perkins, a Telecaster, beautiful, pristine instrument, photographed before the flood. Flood happens. Premier Guitar hears about the flood and the devastation of how many hundreds of thousands, well, if not millions of dollars of instruments. All the artists stored their touring gear at Soundcheck as well. Oh, my. And that's why, you know, yeah. The museum felt yeah. comfortable storing there yeah. as well. And, yeah, I get and, it. Uh, and so they learned about that flood, and we were able to recreate the photos that we took for the book. So we had before and after of oh. the flood. They did a cover story and a story on the flood in Nashville based off of Joe's idea of <laughs> we need to capture these, <laughs> these instruments before we put them in storage. And here we were able to, you know, keep that as part of the history of the museum. And now we have a 353-page, full-color, 12 by 12. It's the size of an album. It's your ultimate coffee table book. It's unbelievable. Yeah. When did the, it come out? Recently? Uh, last year. Oh, okay. Good for yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. In, in Actually, in August um, of 23. Wow. So Joe was in the hospital when we finished the last page of that book. Holy cow. He was able to see the finished product in its digital format. So he saw the completion of the book. He gave it his mental stamp of approval. Yeah. So that book is literally, uh, we have an audio tour here where Joe walked through the museum and he told the history of every piece that he talked about through that. Wow. And you can take the audio tour and you can hear it in Joe's voice and the story's first person perspective of his experience and, and how he procured all the instruments. So as he goes through. So here's something interesting. Um, Joe wanted to have an editor take a look at the book initially okay. because he literally sat down and dictated the book and people typed what he said oh okay it's joe telling the story of the museum of the instruments of his interaction with the people and why he decided this was important or how he came to be in possession of this thing mm -hmm. um so it's it's literally a vernacular discussion with joe chambers um he's telling the story so he wanted to have an editor take a look at the book and the editor uh, we sent him the copy for just the 
intro to the book, right? Okay. Just to see what happened when we sent the copy to them and it came back. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Joe said, yeah, I don't like it. And I said, what do you mean you don't like it? This guy's been doing this for you know 30 years. He knows what he's doing. He, he's correcting it. And he said, no, I don't like it. It doesn't sound like me. I get that too. So he said it, it, it was like too polished and too grammatically correct. And, you know, yeah. it just, it didn't have his voice. So uh, Joe was in the hospital, sadly and tragically. He passed before the book was printed. We finished up the book and self-published the book. I took all the photographs. Joe wrote all the content and we had it printed right here in Nashville. I designed the book. Good for you guys. He wanted to produce it here, keep it here. Wow. It's one thing to want to do that, but it's another right. thing where you go, uh, we just can't. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, but good for you guys. So, wow. so we did it and finished it, and the collective desire of everyone involved in finally bringing the book to print, Linda and all the people who helped us edit, and just when I say edit, I mean fact check, make sure serial numbers are correct, dates mm. and times and things like that. Um, our collective desire became to honor Joe's wish that it sound like him. Mm -hmm. So it is very much the voice of Joe Chambers speaking the history of the museum that cover to cover. That is so cool. It's a beautiful thing. And if you go in and you see just a little piece of the YouTube channel with his interview with whoever, it doesn't matter right. who it is, you'll get a flavor of not only how Joe sort of handled himself through a conversation. Right. And then you pick up the book. I can just imagine that that will help you know, oh, yeah. That's him. That's exactly what it is. And Britt alluded to it earlier that um, she continues having conversations with people through the YouTube channel when they comment or ask questions. And Joe did that with every single comment. He would respond. We literally have people here that come here from all over the world. They know Joe Chambers from YouTube. Oh my. And they'll come in and say, you know, I was so sad. I was devastated when I heard Joe passed and, and it literally, you know, brought me to tears and I felt like I knew him. And Britt loves to say, you did know him because the Joe Chambers that you see on that YouTube channel is the Joe Chambers that you saw every day of his life. That's the man. That is that, so cool. That is Joe. It's so cool. You guys have put so much thought into this, <laughs> and there's so many opportunities where people will just throw something on a shelf, and you guys have not done that. Right. You guys have done sort of promotions with purpose. In this case, it's promoting musicians and, and archiving and stuff like that. So i got to hand it to you there. i got a question for you, though. You've got your eighth class of inductees coming up. Is that a set month? When is that due to happen again? Normally, we do those inductions around November. Okay. But we do them about every two years. Okay. Uh, the fact that we just had the private induction with Ringo will then um, skip a year, and it'll probably be 2025 gotcha. when that one happens. Okay. Unless... You know, sometimes things change and things we, happen. <laughs> we uh, throw the, do those as quickly as we can and get them. No, they put, they put in so much time and effort into those shows that those are unbelievable concerts, performances, stories. Uh, you know, when you see guys like 
Um, behind me here is a photo on the wall. This is one of the photos I took at our induction ceremony. Nice job. From left to right, you've got Randy Bachman, uh, okay. Billy Gibbons, Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and Peter Frampton. Oh, wow. All on the stage at the <laughs> same time. This is one of our induction ceremonies. They're all on stage at the same time playing the LaGrange. Oh, my. And they're doing the round. Each one takes his turn doing the dun 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 And you talk about a <clears throat> moment in musical history. Think about the talent on that stage and what that was like to actually be there. It was surreal. Wow. And um, that's what the museum kind of makes happen. You know who Rick Nielsen is from Cheap Trick. He's yes. from our hometown. Sure. He pops in everywhere, anytime, and his sons play. And we were at the Anderson Japanese Gardens one time. Yeah. And it was hotter than blue blazes. It was just insane. He popped in for one song, I Want You to Want Me, and then, like Miles says, he's going to go back to the old folks home, which he does not stay yeah. in an old folks home. <laughs> and he says, well, I got to get back for the brownies and the uh, mint ice cream or something. You know, he's such a smart ass. So he always wears these very unique jackets and they're hot and they're heavy, but they've got maybe, you know, live at the Budokan type, you know, things on them. Right. He gets in there and he introduces his dad and he said, um, come on, uh, Miles, let's, let's get this over with. It's just, it's just hotter than hell. And he says, well, dad, you've been in these situations before. He goes, why are you so grumpy today? We've come on, we've lived here. We've done this before. You've performed when it was hotter than this. And he goes, well, I got a phone call from, and I can't remember the guy's name. He goes, I got a phone call from so-and-so at seven o'clock this morning. And he told me that Dusty passed. I guess Cheap Trick and ZZ Top sort of toured together a lot. They were sure. buddies together and it just hit him hard. You could tell that he was just sad. Yeah. I have no idea whether this was prearranged between the two or not, but Miles kicked into LaGrange and the place went absolutely apeshit. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Of course, they finished that up. They did I Want You to Want Me, and then Rick took off. <laughs> and isn't that the magic of music that brings us all together? Um, it's kind of um, one of the things that Joe always said about the museum is, is that we're highlighting the people behind the soundtracks of our lives. It is. It so, absolutely is. Uh, so when you hear and learn about Hal Blaine, mm -hmm. who was on the, in the wrecking crew in L.A., and, and know that Hal Blaine was instrumental in creating all the Beach Boys albums, and he's the drummer, and guess what? We've got his drum set oh. in here in the L.A. room. <laughs> you know, oh, we've got um, James Jamerson's bass. We've got... Uh, Dave Osborne's bass, which on the back you can, the only instrument in the museum that rotates uh, 360 degrees. That's his? Yeah. Oh. And all the signatures on the back of yes, it, all the people on whose albums, not all the people, a lot of the people whose albums he played on. It's beautiful. So it's fascinating. But, but you can tell that guitar has been oh, down yeah. the road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah, a little, yeah. it's like Willie Nelson's guitar. It's yeah. a little on the rough side. You know, there's another part too. Uh, when I was back uh, in the uh, area where you have uh, Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell. Right. You know, there's going to be 
a generation of people that will walk in here and they'll go, oh, I remember him from the variety show on TV. Right. And then somebody, oh, I remember Wichita Lineman. And then another generation will go, Rhinestone Cowboy. Yeah. But then when you realize that he was in movies and he stepped in and was part of the Beach Boys, it's like, come on. And he was a session musician. Yeah, well, that before. too. Before. That too. You know? Yes. Uh, he was inducted as part of the Wrecking Crew. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. At wow. Our, at our first show. From our perspective, they're all superstars. Yeah. Because tens of thousands of songs were recorded by the same people. And do you believe that there are, and maybe this is, you know, six one, half dozen of another, the person that is up front that this person has been playing for, for I don't know how long, they step aside and they say, you need to step forward. You are good enough now to step forward and start singing. Or is it more of a coaxing or both from the record companies? I, I would imagine that that's a combination of a lot of things, but I can tell you that the root of every single one of those is the sheer talent and ability oh, that yeah. it takes to be a session musician. Yeah. It's the kind of talent that you need to become a megastar yeah. and the amount of devotion those guys have and the ability to just jam something out and and you know create this magic here um steve cropper the booker t and the mgs okay. is one of our inductees and he tells a story in one of the videos that you'd see in the museum about how the singer is there in the studio waiting for the musicians to arrive but one day they had booked a session and the musicians were there but no singer so he and al jackson drummer were playing running through some stuff that mm -hmm. they do to warm up yeah and because the singer wasn't there yet the guy in the studio hits record and he um, records what they're laying down and he goes hey guys come in here and listen to this and they said what you were recording well, it becomes one of the B-sides, Green Onions. Oh, <laughs> and, my. And it, be, it leads into, um, hey, if we put this on an album, would you guys be able to come up with a B-side? Oh. So Booker T and the MGs, the B-sides, that was literally just stuff that would, they were playing around in there in the studio, and somebody had the foresight to record what they that were doing. so cool. If radio was today what radio was back in the flame-throwing 70s and 80s, which is when I grew up, we were constantly looking for content. Did you know this about Fleetwood Mac? Did right. you know this? And that's the way I still do radio because that's just the way I do it. This would be the best show prep thing that you could ever give a radio announcer today is that book or a walk through this museum because they would be set for years with information oh, yeah. for whatever records they wanted to play. We have so many people that come through the museum that we try to ask everybody when they come in where they're from, mm -hmm. you know, what brings you to Nashville and that kind of thing. And we do get a lot of answers that, oh, we came here to see the museum. I mean, it always catches me by surprise. Yeah. But then we catch them on the way back out. What was your favorite part? Or what did you learn today that you didn't know before you came? Yeah, those exit they polls are great. always have an answer. Uh -huh. um, more often than not, you'll hear this also. Oh, I wish we had more time. You could spend two days in this place. You know, that's the comments that you get. And 
man, if we weren't catching a flight, we'd have gone and had lunch and come back. Easy. You know. Now, my version of that is I'm glad I came through alone. Right. Because you feel like you need to keep up with your group type of thing. Sure. And sometimes that can ruin it. Or I'm really glad that I came in what may have been an off day. I don't know. It was Wednesday and it was pouring rain and nobody wants to be out. But there wasn't a whole lot of people in the museum. And that was also fantastic because I don't have to wait three minutes for these people to get out of my way because I'm going to take a picture or because I want to listen to an audio thing. Those are my versions of that, that I didn't have to take three hours because I came in alone. So let me ask you a question. Sure. I understand why you arrived here. We've already discussed that, how Mm -hmm. you came about coming to the museum. Mm -hmm. Was there something that you learned going through the museum that was a takeaway that you didn't have before you came? Well, I mentioned the Glenn Campbell stuff. Right. I did not know Steve Warner was as prominent. I had no idea. You know, I played a couple of his records here and there. I also remember seeing... What was it? The the most famous unknown band in the world. Do you remember that deal? You can look it up on YouTube. I, I want to say it was like uh, Grand Ole Opry's tribute to Ralph Emery. Remember hmm. the radio announcer? Yes, I, Ralph I, Emery, but I don't recall the story that you're talking yeah, about. They did this uh, uh, performance. I don't have all the names, but it's going to be by memory. It was uh, Roy Clark and Barbara Mandrell and Erlene Mandrell on drums Mm -hmm. and Steve Warner and Ricky Skaggs and Jerry Reed. And I don't know, there was maybe nine or ten of them. And they just went absolutely ballistic on this song. Oh, yeah. Never to happen again. Yeah. What's amazing about that list of people you just rattled off? Most of them are inductees in the Musicians Hall of Fame. I know. Well, I did my research on this, and I even know about this because I'm coming down to interview Louise Mandrell. Right. Well, the other stuff that are connected to the Mandrell sisters, that happened to be because it was Arlene and Barbara. You know, Barbara was on uh, steel guitar. And I'm going, I don't even know about this. Well, then when I walk through here, I'm going, these are becoming really, really familiar names. The thing that I was... um, Shocked about the most are people like Toto would be a really good example. I play the record and I don't pay any attention to anything about them. Right. And I played the record I don't know how many times. And then all of a sudden you realize they are on a pedestal that you could have never imagined because you, you don't dig deep enough into it. Right. I understand that. I get that. I mean, I can't tell you how many radio announcers there were in country music when I was says, hey, did you ever talk to Charlie Pride? Nope, never had the opportunity to talk to Charlie Pride. I said, well, I did when I was 19 years old, which I can't even believe he let me in the room. And we did not talk music the entire time. He used to play for the Milwaukee Brewers baseball team. And he has the most gigantic hands you could ever imagine. And he loved talking baseball. But if you never dug deep right. into Charlie Pride, you would never know the baseball part of him. And you would never guess that. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. Not even if your uncle told you, you go, yeah, he's sort of losing it. Right, you know, he thinks right. Charlie Pride plays baseball. <laughs> and that's where I'm encouraged to go back into the museum, at least to the gift shop, and get that book because uh, I have already purchased my uh, Christmas gift from my family to me. <laughs> oh, right on. Yeah, that's a great you know, gift. We, we had a lot of people coming in to buy that for uh, before Christmas. But, how can you uh, not? Well, I'll tell you, 
Royce Degree, this has been a very, very inspirational conversation on a couple of levels. One, the information. Two, honoring people that have done so much work. Passion that you talk about with Joe. The vision that you talk about right with on. Joe. Yeah. Hurting the cats and getting people together to make something happen. There are a lot of lessons to be learned in the conversation that we had here that hopefully if somebody's on the fence with something that has nothing to do with music, they will grab that thing that Joe did and go do it on their own with whatever they're doing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and it is inspirational. You know, Joe was just that kind of a person. That's, that's, I think, the nuts and bolts of how he was able to accomplish what he was able to in his life. Yeah. And the book that you mentioned can be purchased on our website, musiciansholofame.com. And just last year, we launched a gift shop at the airport. Oh my, that's for you guys. Nashville International, yeah. Wow. So, but I highly encourage any of your listeners to check out the YouTube channel. Yeah, because he approaches it from a whole different angle yeah. because he can. Absolutely. That's the cool part. Yeah. Royce Degree, thank you so much. I encourage everybody to come by the Musicians Hall of Fame and Museum in downtown Nashville. It is a big round building with so much to learn. <laughs> thanks again. I really appreciate the Tim, hospitality. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And thanks for coming by to check out the museum beforehand. You yeah. You bet. Appreciate it. And we will see you on the next Storyteller Studio. Thank you for joining us in the Storyteller Studio with Tim Larson and Liz Wilder, where everything begins with the story. <laughs>